Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Triple R, and I am your host, same as always, and we are steamrolling uh, to the end of the second season. There are some very exciting things that we have planned for the off season, uh, specifically for the summer. There's a couple of things that we're working on here. So do stay tuned for those announcements. I know that y'all just need to get uh, that many more doses of the show. Um, but in the meantime, we're not done yet. We have three more episodes this season. And I am absolutely gassed up today to be talking about expectancies and the violations of those expectancies with my guest, uh, soon to be Dr. Emi Hashi. Uh, I'm so happy to have you here, Emmy. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely, and Emmy comes at the recommendation of, uh, Laura is your chair, right? Yeah, she's my advisor. So Emmy comes at the recommendation of a former guest on this show, uh, Dr. Laura Guerrero, who helped us talk about jealousy back in season one. And I often turn to her when I say, hey, who should I get to talk about this? And so uh, Emmy, yours was the first name to come out of the proverbial hat, as it were. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> so we do need to spend some time talking today about what even an expectancy is in the context of relationships. Um, I guess we can touch on the theory a little bit, but um, we probably won't dive too deep. But before we do any of that, like always, we need to hear about our guests and who they are and where they come from and what they're all about. So Emmy, could you take a couple minutes and tell the audience about you know how you landed on on this topic? Yeah, so my name is Emmy. Um, I'm from Hawaii. Uh, I was born and raised there and um, discovered communication research just by chance um, and fell in love with it. And so I study interpersonal communication. Um, I am particularly interested in friendships, although I do, um, I'm also interested in other types of relationships as well. Um, one of my more recent interests is um, trying to look at developmental communication, which doesn't really exist. Um, we, you know, there's developmental psychology where we look at like how as kids grow up, their brains change and their relationships change, but the relationships are often tangential to the brain changes. And so I'm really interested in that aspect of it. Um, and so in terms of how I came to this topic, um, I just kind of fell into it. I'm really interested in nonverbal communication uh, and expectancy violations is definitely a big part of that. Um, and so relating back to my interest in child development, um, I had originally planned for my dissertation to study um, some sort of expectancy violations um, with really young preschoolers and see, to see if um, at that young age they would be able to uh, conform or um, you know have these expectations. Cool, cool, cool. That's so much information all in in one researcher. And of course, like so many more of my guests, you are a product of Arizona State University. So we are just yeah. repping <laughs> the absolute crap out of that university. And I'm running out of ASU people, to be perfectly honest. But um, uh, it's really good to find out, you know, just kind of what makes you tick and, and why you're so interested in this really important topic. So uh, if you're okay with it, I'd like to just jump right in and talk about um, some of these uh, some of these expectancy issues. Um, and if it's okay with you, I would like to start with expectancy violations theory. And this is the most textbooky we're going to get all day long, I promise. Okay. So if you could um, 
can you give us a summary of what that theory proposes and maybe why it's so important to study um, expectancies and how we violate them? So um, expectancies are how people react uh, when people behave in ways that they don't expect or that are kind of counterintuitive. Um, and so, you know, one of the assumptions of this theory, and this doesn't go for all communication scholars, but um, you know, some of us do believe that we want to explain and predict behavior. And so that's one of kind of the core assumptions. And so when we have these expectations for people, we're trying to predict, we're trying to see how we think they're gonna behave. And sometimes people don't act that way. Um, and so prior to expectancy violations theory, people thought that it was always a negative thing, that when you behave unexpectedly, it's always negative. Um, but one of the things that expectancy violations and Judy Burgoon, um, the person who created the theory, uh, brought in was that expectations um, and violations of expectations aren't always negative. Sometimes they can be positive. Yeah, and just, I think we've talked about Judy Burgoon on this show before, but just to contextualize how powerful of a scholar she is, uh, Judith Burgoon is the woman who advised both doctors, Laura Guerrero and Corey Floyd, who were both my and your professors um, as we were earning our PhDs and doing classwork. So we're, we're talking about one of the fundamental communication scholars. And if I'm not mistaken, she might still be the most published communication scholar of all time. And if she's yeah. not, she's top two. <laughs> yeah, she was also my advisor in Hawaii's um, advisor. So I'm like a hybrid grandchild, as you are, James. Very <laughs> cool, very cool. Um, yeah, so her work on EVT uh, was instrumental and it was originally developed surrounding nonverbal behaviors, right? Um, so we're talking about the nonverbal, the gestures, the facial expressions, the eye behaviors that people do that aren't expected or that aren't normal and that cause us to go, wait a minute, what was that? And sort of the reactions that we have to those unexpected behaviors are at the core of EVT. So what are some of the things that we do when somebody violates one of our expectancies? Uh, so EVT at its core is relatively simple. I like how you explained it, um, but then it gets a little bit more complicated. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, to my understanding, EVT is broken down into kind of this positive and negative violations, and then there's amb ambiguous violations in the middle. So um, if somebody does something that's we can easily categorize, right, because again, we're just trying to predict and explain behavior. Mm -hmm. If we can easily figure out if it's a positive or negative violation, we're probably gonna respond appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. So positive violations, we'll like them more. Um, positive violation would be something like, you know, somebody gets you a gift that's unexpected or something mm -hmm. like that. A surprise it's, birthday party, yeah, maybe something like that. Surprise birthday party, right? Something that's, that's good. Mm -hmm. um, negative violation would be somebody sits too close, uh, too close to you on the bus, right? Or um, <laughs> stops you in the face or you something like you that. You walk right? in on your partner committing infidelity, but, yeah, not um, good. It would hurt or it would be <laughs> negative. Um, right. Then we have the ones in the middle. So maybe the sitting on, um, on the bus might actually be in the middle. It depends if they're sitting way too close to you, mm -hmm. right? Then that is probably clearly a negative violation. Mm -hmm. But what if there's an empty bus and they're sitting like two seats away from you? Mm -hmm. That's kind of ambiguous because normally you would want to give as much room as possible, but then, um, you know, 
it, it would depend. And so to answer your question, how do we respond? It, it depends on the situation. Uh, and that's where we look at towards reward value. Um, and so we tend to forgive, for lack of a better word, rewarding individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, we are more okay with them violating our expectations um, when they are seen as rewarding as opposed to non-rewarding individuals. We don't like it. We tend to have more uncertainty, negative evaluations, things like that. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up the bus situation because that's the example I use in my classes uh, to explain reward value. When a stinky person sits next to us and it's too close on the bus, we're like, ooh, I don't like this at all. But like, if someone's gorgeous and they sit next to us on an empty bus, we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, right? And we get a little bit more excited about it. Um, now, okay, so let's, let's then break this down a little bit more and talk about how, that, uh, uh, how these principles invade our close relationships because that's really what we're trying to get out here so in relationships obviously we have expectations of our partners or even of our you know our friends our best friends etc etc um what are the sorts of relationships uh, i'm sorry what are the sorts of expectancies that we might have for our partner in in a you know a committed or a romantic or a sexual relationship what are the most common expectations that we have and why are they important in the first place Hmm. Okay, I, I might have to come back to that second part, but okay. um, in terms of the, f- the first part, like what are some common expectations? It really depends on the relationship. Um, EVT talks about how there's three characteristics, the uh, communicator, the relationship, and the context. And mm-hmm. so that really dictates what our expectations are. Mm-hmm. So depending on the person, what they look like, um, their background, um, the communicator itself, we might have expectations. Depending on our relationship with them, how close we are, we probably have um, expectations. And then depending on the context of the situation, we have different expectations. Um, things that have been looked at in the context of EET are, are wide. Um, you know, computer-mediated communication or communicative technologies is a big one. Uh, they look at like un- unfriending people on online on Facebook, um, cell phone usage during dates. Like, you know, if you're on your phone um, during a date, uh, what are the expectations there? Um, you know, video games and how you're supposed to appropriately respond in those situations. So there's definitely a wide variety of, of things that can be looked at. Interesting. Your, sec- your oh, second question, why do they matter? Um, it has to do with impressions. I, I would think that, uh, you know, it, people like want to be liked. We have this desire to set off a positive impression. And so um, you might want to keep in mind these expectancy violation norms general guidelines they're not really rules but just general guidelines so that you can try to meet expectations and form positive evaluations okay so i i find it really interesting that you brought up the phone because like i'm not gonna lie i am like where is it i'm one of the people i'm addicted to my phone like i can't stop looking mm-hmm. away i'm looking at it now i have some TikTok notifications and there's nothing <laughs> that i would love to do more than open it up and see what those notifications are but i'm gonna be a good boy and not do it because i respect your time now um I'm sure your your listeners expect you to not be on your phone as well <laughs> during a podcast, right? Yeah, and I think that you might expect me not to do it. And if I were to do it, it would probably be largely insulting to you because I reached out to you. I wanted to have you on here. And now you're going to come on my show and I'm going to act like I don't even care or I'm paying attention to something else. Now, imagine that but it's with the person that you're in a long-term relationship with or it's with the person you've chosen to share your life with and they do it every time you have brunch together. I got yelled at by a former partner for doing that exact thing. And I remember thinking, well, EVT says that she should be expecting me to do this at this point. (laughs) She should know that I'm going to be doing this. And obviously that was a 
bit of an obtuse way to look at things, but um, but I think that you're right. I think that it is important because we we have these certain expectations of our partner, um, and we need to be able to rely on them. So that's meaningful. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I don't. I'm not really sure how the research would respond to what you said about like over time, I'm sure cell phone usage could actually become part of the relationship, right? That you, you expect this of your partner. Um, That doesn't mean they have to be happy with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a different satisfaction is a whole different thing as well. Um, But yeah, you know, over time that might actually become part of the new expectations for the relationship. Yeah. And I think it also really depends on the relationship. So, Yes, these these expectations are meaningful and they carry weight and we should be paying attention to them, but they change from relationship to relationship. So if it's okay with you, I would like to bleed in um, some conversations that I've had with previous guests, specifically ASU people, in talking (laughs) about things like friends with benefits relationships and some of the more casual relationships that college students typically encounter. How might expectations of, let's say, a long-term committed, romantically involved relationship differ from the expectations that you would have in something like a friends with benefits relationship, if at all? Do they differ at all? And if so, how? Yeah, friends with benefits relationships, you know, there's a reason why um, we love to study them. They're so interesting and they're so full of uncertainty. Um, And so in terms of how they would differ from a committed romantic relationship in terms of expectancies, perhaps you don't have as many of those expectations to go off of in a friends with benefits relationship. I, I think it really depends, though, like a lot of these I always tell this to my interpersonal class, like my, my catchphrase is it, it depends. It really depends. Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, you could have long term friends of benefits relationships as well and that they actually have created an expectancy of their relationship. Like if you have good communication in a friends of benefits relationship, you can actually have very clear expectations. And mm-hmm. so hopefully um you know, there won't be violations, but definitely there's a lot of potential for expectancy violations in friends of benefits relationships if you're not clear about that. Because, you know, what do you do if you do end up dating someone else? You know, how do you end that um, friends of benefits relationship? Are, are they entitled to like a breakup moment, um, like a committed relationship? Right. There's definitely um, a lot of uncertainty, which you know, obviously has its own set of theories, but it also ties into expectancies. I love that turn of phrase you just used, entitled to a breakup moment. (laughs) That's so interesting. Well, it just places so much importance on things like closure, which Mm -hmm. unfortunately, FWBR relationships are notorious for not having closure, and it's really sad. And so uh, this makes me think of the conversation that I had with uh, Dr. Trucelli, uh, what feels like ages ago now, about the expectancies that we have in these friends with benefits relationships. And it, it really comes down to like, what I tell my classes are, you know, if you're in a, in a friends with benefits relationship and you have those super clear expectations and you have really strong communication and a clear boundary of like, this is our time and this is individual time and this is that and this is this, are you even in a friends with benefits relationship? Are, are you not just in a relationship that in, in which yeah. you in which there are permissions to perhaps sleep with other people that's the question a, a mod- that, yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah so yeah, i guess i guess a polyamorous relationship perhaps yeah. I, I i this is the question i'm constantly asking and re-asking my students and i can never get a solid answer i don't know what do you think i, I think that's a great point um it depends on how you define relationships i when i define relationships to my like 
110 introductory classes, Mm -hmm. I say relationships are a set of expectations Mm -hmm. that you have a relationship with someone at the point that you come to expect something from them, even if it's like a ritualistic encounter with your bus driver, like, hey, Joe, how are you? I'm good. Right. Um, Or, you know, uh, further committed relationships that I expect my partner to come home every night and cook dinner and do all these different things. Um, And so friends of benefits relationships are relationships definitely right they are a type of relationship mm-hmm. um but i think that's a great point like how, do, how how does that truly differ then from romantic relationships monogamous romantic relationships except for that expectation of um monogamy, of monogamy right? of, of yeah. having just one partner i'm not sure that if you really do have these strong friends of benefits relationships where you clearly lay, lay out your expectations then maybe it's no longer friends of benefits relationship I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But what, what I do know <laughs> is that most <laughs> friends with benefits relationships are not like that. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. they are plagued by a distinct lack of communication and by some really, really upsetting expectations. I think about, and I know I keep bringing up former guests, but I think about uh, a paper written by uh, Dr. Von Ralta where they went over the rules that FWBR partners have for each other. And they were like the most depressing rules ever. <laughs> it was like, if you sleep with someone, I don't want to hear about it. Or like, if you sleep with someone, I have to hear about it. Or if you sleep with someone, we're not going to be together for another three days uh, so that you can, I don't know, metaphorically clean yourself. Um, but it was never a rule about like safer sex practices or like it was never a rule that involved, like, like there were rules where like, okay, we're not allowed to catch feelings for each other, which is like such an hurtful, restrictive rule of like, I'm entering this relationship and I'm not allowed to feel anything for the person mm-hmm. that I'm sharing to, like, intimate deny experiences your feelings. With. Yeah, yeah, so that's what the rule becomes, right? It's not that we're not allowed to, it's that we must deny and repress the feelings. And I think that that, is, it, that creates a very unhealthy set of expectations. Uh, and you see, we circled back and we found expectations. That mm-hmm. was not just a rant about FWBRs. <laughs> Okay. Uh, There's really only one other big thing that I want to talk about today, and it involves a topic that, yeah, you've guessed it. We've talked about it on this show before. Uh, Specifically, it relates to uh, dating, and I want to specify online dating. And just as a case study, I want to use Tinder. So I talk to my students about this frequently. When we present ourselves on Tinder, we are inherently creating a set of expectations, right? Like, you know, our partner expects us to look a certain way and have the interests that we say we have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I have two questions. First question, if I take all the best pictures of myself, the best pictures that I've ever taken where I'm looking real crispy (laughs) and I put those on display, am I setting myself up for failure when I go out on the date and I'm not as fresh and clean as I look in those pictures? Or should we be setting that really, really, really high expectation? What do you think? EVT would say, well, so first off, I would say it depends, obviously. (laughs) But EVT would say positive expectancy violations are better than negative expectancy violations. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're setting yourself up for failure. Maybe it's better to put the worst, the the awkward angle photos of yourself, um, you know, kind of pictures so that you set them up for a mediocre bar and then when you show up um, and you look fabulous then that's a positive violation um i also think it depends on the context though i think that on online dating we do expect a little bit of uh self-monitoring of filtering messages of putting up only our best versions of ourselves so um 
you know, are you doing yourself a disservice then if you're not picking your best photos and everyone else is? Um, right. I don't know. I think I think maybe aim for somewhere in the middle. Like, don't you know? Go. I I think if it's one of those ambiguous, you can aim for amb- ambiguous violations. That like if it's a good picture but not like too far out, that it's an expectancy violation. That's probably what I would recommend. Um, but clearly, it would depend on <laughs> so many different things. Yeah, so that's kind of the second question that I wanted to ask. If we take all of our, for lack of a better term, our uggo pictures, right, where <laughs> we're just not looking nice at all, if we include only those pictures, are, are we also setting ourselves up for failure? Because are we not going to get enough swipes at that point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing. Some people, um, like I feel like maybe highly attractive individuals might be able to actually afford that because mm. then they're getting the people who, who like really truly are liking them at their that level, right? And then they can positively violate that expectation. That could be perhaps a, a strategy. Um, but it also depends what you're looking for, right? Tinder also has different levels of interest and um, desired outcomes. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, I think people are often strategically ambiguous about what they want on Tinder. You know, some people will have will have a big message that says, I'm not here for hookups. And some people will have some messages that say, like, oh, I'm just here for whatever happens. And I think that as humans, we're programmed to sort of decode those messages and find deeper meanings, even if none exist. So to summarize, I have a, oh, no, um, no, go ahead. One other thing that I was, I was sure. thinking of. Um, on on tinder i think people also purposefully negatively violate expectations you see a lot of people that like try to be controversial in order to get attention right and so they they think that maybe that's a way if they can violate those expectations they got your attention for a little bit and then maybe you're a a little bit more likely to swipe right very interesting like do you have an example because i i would be fascinated (laughs) by that this is after swiping but like a lot of the times like why do i'm only speaking from the female perspective but like why do guys send like really crude corny pickup lines (laughs) do you think that's gonna work like i don't i don't know but like maybe it got a chuckle out of you know if it works five percent of the time then you know maybe that's great um but i don't know i'm just thinking like in their description they have like kind of like offensive things or you know Mm. like things that are make them seem edgy and and um you know, maybe that works for some people. I'll never understand why guys post pictures on Tinder of them holding a fish. That one confuses me. Interesting. Is, Is this, it like are a we fish gonna, caught? Like holding a fish, like, you know, by the mouth and you know, they're in front of a body of water and it's like, oh, okay, so you fish, but you could have just said that you fish. Like, here's <laughs> a picture of you with like blistered cheeks, holding a fish, like looking real rough. And uh, like, I, like, I guess the, the female in question is meant to be impressed by the size of the fish. Um, I think that there's a lot of compensatory messages that are happening there um, that, that I'm not ready to get into on this show just yet. We still have a certain level of standard to maintain. Um, so to summarize, what I'm hearing from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, you want to have some flattering pictures. And then maybe also you want to have a picture or two where you're not looking your best or like a candid picture where it's not the super great angle. So really cute picture to start in the middle. And then in the end, another really cute picture. And that would tap into, of course, the primacy and the recency effect where people are more likely to memorize the first and the last thing that they see and not care so much about what's in the middle. And so when they show up, you're like, yeah, but my pictures in the middle were were horrible. You should have known. (laughs) 
Yeah, is that, is that close? I think at least the first pitcher should be like your best pitcher. That's generally mm. the Tinder culture. Mm. Um, and then after that, yeah, maybe just like lowered expectancies a little bit to a more normal standard. Yeah, you want to you wanna have that hook, right? You want to grab the attention and then say, huh? Maybe me when I'm, where I'm not looking super awesome <laughs> and then end it with, with a nice, strong picture. So those are some very interesting expectations to, mat, uh, to manage as we, uh, as we move through those sorts of things. Um, so we're almost out of time. So I want to take a, a moment here to thank you uh, for participating. I know that you're in the middle of, of, of dissertation land and that every moment counts. So I'm very grateful for you uh, taking the opportunity to join us and to help break down these really important issues that people often act on, but don't really consciously think about. So thank you. Thank you for that for that time. Yeah, no, thank you. I enjoyed the chance to talk about it. And like you said, I think it's really important to talk about things that um, seem counterintuitive at first, and then we can actually try to dive into it. Yeah. Well, uh, ladies and gents, we have about uh, two episodes left, and they're going to be non-traditional episodes. We're going to be talking about some very uh, sensitive topics next week when we uh, discuss the, the role that communication plays and the role that close relationships play in recovering from things like addiction. The week after that, we're going to be fortunate enough to talk with the newly elected Vice President of Student uh, Affairs to, uh, to break down the importance of like peer-to-peer -peer relationships, uh, especially in the age of COVID. That's something that's been extremely important. But those are future topics, and then we'll, we'll be done with the season, and, and we'll have a couple of summer specials, and then hopefully we'll get right back into things in the fall. But that is, in fact, all the time that we have for today. I thank you all for listening, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all in the very near future about recovery. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.